Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today's guest is Tim Peterson, who is the co-owner of Arizona Grass Raised Beef Company, Arizona cattle rancher, and they operate a USDA inspected processing plant and USDA commercial kitchen. They are your true ranch to table grass fed beef operation. They manage their own ranches in Arizona, own and operate their own processing plant and completely are integrated from the top to the sale. We, they practice regenerative agriculture by purchasing rundown, non-functioning ranches and rebuilding them with their crews and cattle genetics. This beef is certified by the American Grass-Fed Beef Association. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, um, Tim, how did you get started farming or ranching? Uh, well, you know, I, I grew up in Arizona and, um, we, we spent a lot of time in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad worked on a, a few small ranches, uh, when I was growing up as a kid, but it was, it was really out of my, my love for the outdoors mm-hmm. and, and growing up in the outdoors of Arizona. Um, my dad had, uh, several friends that were in the ranching industry and I just always, uh, loved everything about raising food, ranching, and, um, and, and, and basically the, the Arizona outdoors in the, in the mid eighties, I, um, I got into the real estate appraisal, uh, business. Okay. And I, and I started learning how to appraise real estate. And in that, in that career, I, um, appraised, uh, some farmland, I've appraised a lot of farmland and, uh, outlying areas of Arizona. And I, I did appraising, uh, appraisals of, uh, cattle ranches. Okay. So I learned, learned a lot about the numbers side, uh, the valuation and numbers side of, of, uh, ranching, uh, throughout the eighties and nineties. Um, and then I became, uh, I kind of retired from appraising real estate and started developing land and simply, you know, in 2008, when the housing market crashed, the real estate market crashed. Um, I, I was actually had been in the mule training business. I trained mules. So that was kind of my agriculture tie. And we had a few cows and we had a small ranch in a little town called Humboldt, Arizona. And so we packed mules and rode mules and, um, as a hobby, but kind of as a side business. And then I, I just thought, you know, they're, they're not building houses anymore. Nobody's developing land anymore. Nobody needs the skills that I developed in the real estate industry here in Arizona. And, uh, I took my development and real estate skills and, uh, bought my first ranch. And, uh, that's where it started about 10 years ago. All right. So then at that time, were you interested in regenerative agriculture or did that come as you kind of got going? Yeah, I, I would say that that kind of came as I got going. Um, i because of my love for the outdoors and because Arizona and the history, a lot of history in Arizona, mm-hmm. cattle, you know, mining industry. Um, I went to a regenerate, a regenerate conference, um, 
maybe about four years ago, and it was it was put on by the American Grass-Fed Beef Association in uh, in New Mexico, and and uh, started learning that what I was actually doing with these ranches was was actually qualified as regenerative agriculture. I thought, you know, that, that's pretty neat. You know, we're, we're taking these old farms that have been, these old ranches that have been run down and, uh, you know, completely rebuilding the infrastructure, the range improvements, and then, you know, introducing um, our genetics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what does a typical week look like for you? <laughs> well, uh, so, so, you know, I, I've always been a, a hardworking guy, you know, owning my own businesses. And so, you know, it's all about work ethic. There's a lot of work involved. People say that farming and ranching isn't really a job. You know, it's a lifestyle mm-hmm. because it, it literally, it literally happens seven days a week. And, um, you know, I'm typically up at about three, three thirty in the morning. Um, because we have several cattle ranches on top of having our own USDA processing plant, uh, USDA inspected commercial kitchen, um, uh, you know, there's, there's always work to be done. And uh, I spend a lot of my time, um, you know, traveling to the kitchen, which is in Camp Verde, Arizona, and then up to the processing plant in uh, Prescott, Arizona. Uh, and then, and then our ranches are, uh, you know, with everything's within about an hour to an hour and a half drive. So I, I spend a lot of time, uh, visiting with my managers mm-hmm. making sure the quality control is there, those, those pieces. And then I do spend quite a bit of time with the cattle because it all starts with the, with the cattle and, and the beef. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's, it's typically a, a 12 to 14 hour day. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're spread out then because the range of where you have things is, well, Arizona is huge. So just when you think about how everything is just more laid out and flat out there. Or not flat, because you guys definitely have some mountains and hills and such. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have we have ranches that we have one ranch that's pretty flat. Uh, there's there's no really there's a lot of topography in Arizona. We have a couple ranches that are that have a lot of mountains, a lot of mountain country in them, and and we we run our ranches just like ranches were run, you know, in the in the at the turn of the century. Our cowboys are always on horseback. Um, you know, we don't use quads or side-by-sides or helicopters. Um, we try to, we try to mimic, uh, exactly the, the, the historical significance of the ranches and how the ranches were built and try to mimic the old, the old cowboy way of, um, of running these cattle. Mm. Now, the other thing is that Arizona is really dry. So do you guys irrigate at all? Or is everything just from, you just have a very low impact aspect? Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, you can't run as many cattle per acre in Arizona, say you can in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the flip side of that, Michael, is that, you know, we, we have, um, sunshine almost, you know, 360 odd days a year Wow. where other places in the country deal with snow. Mm-hmm. And so they have to grow, uh, hay, um, and then feed those cattle, you know, during the winter and the cold months when there's snow, but we, our cattle basically roam on uh, our ranches total about 200,000 acres and, and uh, those cattle roam free on those ranches. And then I have a handful of partner ranchers that, that I actually purchased cattle from. Um, and they're, they're all, 
certified by the, the AGA, American Grass-Fed Beef Association. Uh, we have a veterinarian you know, that does audits for us. And, and so those, you know, basically our cattle come off of approximately 6 million acres of Arizona rangeland. Wow. Um, we have a couple of tribes up here, the Navajos and the Apaches and the Wallapais that we, we buy cattle from. Um, they, you know, the Navajo Nation is about 22 million acres. And they run, they run cattle on a large portion of that. Mm-hmm. But our ranches are, like I said, are around 200,000 acres. And um, yeah, so, so like, for instance, our, our one ranch has 42 uh, stock tanks on it and about 22 miles of riparian area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of running water on the ranch. The, the ranch is, is, is um, it's contiguous with a, a lake down here. And even though it's the desert, pe- people don't understand that there, there's really quite a bit of grass that grows in the desert. Okay. And a lot of grass and, and, and there's actually more water than what most people would think. Uh, although rain is a, is a big part of it. Uh, we just have to, we have to make sure that we have our springs developed and our, our seeps and, and um, we have natural occurring springs. We have uh, stock tanks that we develop uh, in the last two summers. We've, on one ranch, we've we've cleaned out and rebuilt um, over 32 stock tanks for water storage. Wow. Okay, so part of what your job is to is just to capture the existing rain that does hit the ground is just make sure that it stops on your property, not run off. That that that's a big part of it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit about your genetics. How have you worked on genetics? Have you developed genetics? What's kind of the core of your uh, the breed that you use? Yeah. So. You know, so 10 years ago, um, we, uh, we took some cattle that were, that were very heat tolerant and desert tolerant because we do have, uh, three ranches that are, that are sort of in the high desert and, and then they kind of range down into the Sonoran desert, but there are cattle, uh, cattle breeds out there that are uh, a little more susceptible to, you know, drier climates, um, uh, they have to be rock-footed cattle. There's a lot of rocks in Arizona. They're, uh. not, they're not they're not walking on grassy pastures all day long. Um, so so uh, we we used a lot of uh, Black Angus influence. And um, have you ever? I don't know if you ever heard of a Barzona, uh, a Barzona breed. No, that's a new one for me. Yeah, and that that breed was actually uh, developed genetically on on one of our ranches, uh, the the Boulder Creek Ranch in the Bradshaw mountains. And, uh, we introduced some large, what I call a large body Corriente, uh, which is basically a, a Spanish, uh, bred cow. They're, they're very, very hardy, strong rock footed cattle. And so we took about six years and started breeding the, the best of the genetics and then reintroducing our, our calf crop, uh, specifically the heifer crop. Mm. you know, back into the herd, picking out the best looking heifers, the best genetically uh, sound heifers and putting them back in the herd and then introducing different bulls that would bring out, say, more bone, mm-hmm. more ear and and just a better genetic for for the topography and and the, um, you know, the environment that they live in. Mm. And so I'm sure that over the years, you're just getting a better, it's a more efficient cow on your, on yeah. in your environment. Very cool. Yeah, we think so. 
And how many cows total do you have across all your, your ranches? Uh, on our, our, our ranching operation, we have about a thousand, about a thousand head of cattle. Okay. Um, if you add up some of our partner ranchers, you know, we're, we're probably looking at, you know, somewhere around five or 6,000 head. Okay. So you got 200,000 acres and about a thousand head. So that mm. means it's about 200 acres per cow. That's approximately. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Obviously it's a very extensive, but what is land cost out there? So, so ranches in Arizona consist of some, some private land. Okay. Um, but most of the land that we ranch on is either um, state trust, mm -hmm. uh, public land, state trust, uh, Bureau of Land Management, or yep. National Forest. Okay. And so the ranches that we that we purchase and rebuild, um, you know, we're we're running cattle on a lot of public land. Gotcha. So the ranch may be you know much smaller acreage, but it usually abuts the BL. Um, land management land or something like that. So you kind of can expand into that. Yeah. The head, the headquarters is, is deeded land. Yes. Gotcha. And, uh, we call that base property. Mm -hmm. And then we have several hundred acres of irrigated uh, ranch land in the Verde Valley, uh, which is all deeded land that, that, that we lease and own. Gotcha. All right. Very cool. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, building this as a business, because obviously you kind of started one way, but now you've kind of vertically integrated. So let's move a little bit and kind of chat about what was the thinking behind that at the beginning? Was there a particular challenge you were facing that you decided to do that? Yeah. The, the, the challenge in Arizona is, is we don't have a lot of uh, processing plants, slaughter plants. And, and we only have a couple of plants that are USDA inspected. And if, if you want to sell your beef or your products over state lines, uh, you have to be USDA inspected. So when I started out, I was going to a couple of farmers markets and I was taking my cattle down to Tucson, the University of Arizona down there uh, has a meat science lab and they also have a, a really nice processing plant and uh, a lot of ranchers in Arizona especially in southern Arizona use that plant but it's not it's not big enough and it's not equipped to really do um, what I felt like we needed to do to be successful in the grass-fed beef business so uh, uh, basically I did a lot of research and realized that you know grass-fed beef was something that the market was asking for um, the, the local aspect, uh, the bottom line is, 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 you know, people just want to know more and more people in the market want to know where their food is coming from. Mm -hmm. So, so we utilized the university of Arizona for several years and, um, you know, I landed, uh, our first retail client, which was natural grocers and, um, just realized that if we were going to grow this business and it was going to be successful, and we were going to be able to capitalize on the quality of the beef. And, um, you know, we, we needed to, we needed to, um, really, really try to find our own, our own plant that we could get USDA inspected and then we can control costs. We can control so many more things, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the cutting of the animal, the dry aging uh -huh. process, all the things that we've implemented to make, to make our grass fed beef more palatable.
And I mean, you know what your customers want too. And one of the problems with these processors is they might not give you exactly the cuts you want because they're just having an off day that day. Yeah, yeah. Hard, hard to control. You have chefs that want, want a product and you know, you're telling the chef that um, you know, it's going to be a couple of weeks because the processor is a little behind because you don't control it. Mm-hmm. And then there's that whole thing about carcass utilization. You know, you, you, you process a 1400 pound animal, 70 to 75% of that animal is going to be ground beef. And so you have this thing called carcass utilization. You might have, you might have people that customers that want to buy a lot of steaks, a certain cut, and, and that's great. You have to kill so many animals to keep up with that, with that, with that order. But at the same time, you're, you're inventorying, you know, thousands of pounds of ground beef yeah. because so much of that animal is ground beef. So carcass utilization is, 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 a, is a really big part of this formula. And so having our own plant, um, we can, we can take that ground beef and like, like we make, uh, four different flavors of beef sausage out of that. Um, with our commercial kitchen, we can make a formed beef jerky out of the ground beef. Uh-huh. And uh, we've also been been uh, making a um, sort of a, a raw pet food product that we haven't really launched. But so, you know, having our own facilities has really given us the control over the carcass and, and of course, the quality of the beef. All right. So a processing facility is not cheap. <laughs> um, <No. laughs> so how did you, did you have to go out and find funding for this? Were you able to end up self-funding it yourself? Kind of walk us through that because this is something I think, uh, because I mean, your problem is not unique is there are so many farmers in the U S especially now because of the massive d- demand jump in all yes. the local food. Um, like I've got people saying their, their processors two years out. Um, one of my friends, yeah. Jordan, just said, hey, my processor has a few slots. Jump on them while you can. So, and I mean, obviously, um, you know, butchering animals is not, let's say, a very fun job. So I don't think there's a lot of people clamoring for that. But we right. definitely, we definitely need more processing plants. So walk us through kind of like, you know, what was the process of getting that started? And uh, how did that kind of come to be? Yeah, well. So, you know, I knew, I knew I needed that facility and, and, um, you know, um, I've had a, a business partner, uh, his name is Greg and, you know, we've, we, we were in the development business, um, you know, had some partnerships Uh and, and had been business partners for a lot of years. And, and, uh, and we just, we just decided that, you know, we were going to self fund this thing. We're, we're a debt-free company. Yeah. Um, and I started, I started looking for a small processing plant in Arizona, um, figuring that if I could just get the plant taken care of, then I could go in and remodel it. I, I have, you know, contractor experience and know how to mm-hmm. build things. So I had a friend up in this uh, Prescott Chino Valley area that had this plant and it was more or less an exempt plant, meaning that it was not state inspected. It was not USDA inspected. And uh, sometimes I would have customers come out to one of my smaller irrigated pastures, or you could call it a farm, and they would pick out an animal, and I would I would have that animal processed over at that plant in in Prescott mm-hmm. Chino Valley area uh, because it it didn't need to be USDA inspected. It wasn't going to go to a, a retailer or a, a distributor. Mm-hmm. And I had a a friend over there that owned this plant, and it, it's it's really strange how it happened. I was in his plant one day. 
And, um, you know, he was just having a lot of struggles keeping the plant open because it is expensive, you know, to maintain a plant. Yeah. Uh, those, th- those guys make a large part of their money during, you know, hunting season. And then, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the rest of the year they're, they're hoping for, you know, um, uh, you know, the, the auctions that, that come through, um, at, at the fair, you know, that when the, when all the FFA kids and 4-H kids sell off their animals yeah. and he was just frustrated. And one day I happened to be at the right place at the right time. And I was, I was in that, in that facility and he just, he yelled at me, I'm just done with this. And he just started, he started ranting and raving <laughs> about the plant and how it, it needed this and it needed that. And how he's got, he's had three hernias and his back hurts. And he was, he just felt comfortable enough, I guess, to rant in front of me, you know? Yeah. Uh, Cause I was more than a customer. I was sort of a friend acquaintance of his, you know? And a light bulb went off in my head and I just thought, you know, this, this is my plant, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. and I asked the guy, I said, I said, so I mean, are, are you just ranting and raving or are you really done? And he says, I'm done, Tim. I'm telling you, I'm, I am done with this. I'm, I'm going to move up. The, his family has a farm up in North Dakota. Oh, and I'm going to okay, go move yeah. up to the farm. And, and he started you know, just, just ranting and raving for 30 minutes. And I said, I've, I want to, I want to take this place over. And he said, it's yours. And so, <laughs> so, so I called my business partner, Greg, and we, we came up with a plan uh-huh. and you know started running numbers on what it would take to get this plant remodeled. And I, and I, and then I contacted um, a, a gentleman by the name of doc Savage here in Arizona. He was, he was the head, the, the head DVM for the state for USDA. And he came up for a visit and we just, we just made a list of what it was going to take to mm-hmm. remodel this plant. And that that's really kind of how it started. And we, and we, we remodeled the plant and re-epoxied the floors and, and, you know, that was uh, over eight year, eight and a half years ago. And um, we've added a dry age cooler. We've added a larger grinding facility. We've added on to the plant, upgraded the electrical system, upgraded the, uh, uh, septic system and and over eight and a half years we've we've built it into uh, quite quite a nice little plant mm-hmm. but, but that's really as simple as how it happened and um, and and yes it is expensive um, the good news is that that we had the the, the capital to, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to come in and do that because we had we had been in you know in other businesses prior to this and uh, and and being, you know, just being blessed to have, have availabilities to the funds and being able to, to, to get it underway. Yeah. Now, so one of the things I think you pointed out there is you brought in someone from the state that would be um, to give you idea of what you needed to do. So it's not like you went in blind, you had someone come out, you walked through, figured out what they were needing to get from mm-hmm. you so you could go certify it. Um, yes. And uh, then you went ahead and just did what you had to do. Um, what were some of the things, were there any like back and forth with them about like, Hey, I want you to do it this way. And you're like, well, maybe we could do it more like this. Or was it, you just like went exactly like they wanted. Well, um, there's not a lot of compromise with the federal government. Um, <laughs> <laughs> USDA, uh, we're, we're very proud to be a USDA inspected facility. Yeah. Um, very proud to work with their inspectors and, and, and we, we feel like our product is, is superior uh, because we are USDA inspected. And so, 
when they came in and they, they gave me the protocol, you know, and, and, and the, the punch list basically of what I needed to do, I got to be honest. I didn't really, I didn't really argue with them too much. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we wanted to build a really nice plant. Um, the other advantage I had was the university of Arizona, uh, doc, Dr. Sam down there. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're, they're more, uh, they're an educational facility, you know, before they're actually a processing plant. And I, and I had the, the great advantage of, of, um, bouncing questions off, off of their, their heads, you know, and, yeah. Uh, in fact, I got all my HACCP certified training down there. And, and some of the first people I hired in the plant, I took down to the University of Arizona and they were nice enough, nice enough to let us come in and during, during slaughter and processing and, and let my people kind of um, observe the USDA way, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, my wife had a hand in, you know, doing all the paperwork and, um, so I, I gotta be honest, I didn't really argue with them too much. I, I, I was very nervous, um, mm-hmm. kind of, kind of overwhelmed, you know, I can imagine I, I've never done this before. And I tell you the very first carcass I ever stamped with, you know, the USDA ink, our little bug number on there. I could tell you, I had a little tear running down my cheek and I, I bet you did. I, yeah, I, I probably, I was, I was very, very happy because a lot of work went into remodeling the plant. There's mm-hmm. a lot of work that goes into the paperwork. There's a lot of checks and balances and critical control points and all the, the, the USDA regulation that goes into, into having one of these plants. Yeah. Um, very, very, a lot of, a lot of hard work is, is really the best way to put it. Now remind me with a USDA plant, you have to have an inspector on the floor at all times of the killing, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you've got an inspector there that, that basically is there on site. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I know it really ranges too, depending on the inspector that you have, how how they are seeing things. Because I remember talking with Joel, um, you know, for the longest time, eighty percent of their livers were getting disqualified, and right. and then all of a sudden the inspector changed, and now they had liver because he was looking <laughs> at he was looking at how the livers were differently. So, yeah, and I never really know what you're going to get, and it's it's kind of yeah, it's it's challenging. So they all, they all have, yeah. yeah, they all have their own little personal idiosyncrasies, you know, their own little personal things that they're, they keep yeah. me in. Yeah. yeah. So with the, the plant, now that kind of gives you a ton of flexibility and you only process beef through that, correct? Yeah. Just beef, our beef. Yep. Your beef. Okay. And then the, the value adding side, let's move a little bit and start talking the value added side, because I think that's an important part is with this vertically integrated. So now you've, you know, you're raising the cows, the cows are your own kind of uh, genetics now. Then they come to your processing plant where you're processing them. And then like, talk us about the, the process, the products that you're making. Yeah. Well, you know, the first, the first few months of operation, we were, for instance, we were taking a lot of good marrow bones and throwing them in the dumpster. Mm. And, you know, people only buy so many marrow bones for their dogs. And uh, my partner, Greg and his wife, uh, Deb, um, they came up with this great idea to make uh, a beef bone broth. Okay. And so we started looking into different ways because car- carcass utilization is the name of the game. You've got to try to extract I- as much um, money, dollars out of that carcass as you possibly can. Um, you know, the, the big, big plants like JBS, I mean, they have, they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that work for them, labor force. 
and and they can they can extract more items but as a small processor as your local your local arizona grown beef guy um it only pencils to you know it has to pencil you know there's there's a lot involved labor and so so we um we started out with this bone broth idea and um in camp verde arizona where i where i live our headquarters is down here um there was a, a, a small restaurant that had gone out of business with a kitchen in it. And so I got this great idea to, you know, call the owner and ask him if he would lease me the building, but I was only interested in really leasing the kitchen. And that's kind of where we birthed our bone broth business. So we bought some kettles, some steam jacketed kettles, and, and we started experimenting with bone broth and started doing the, the research on how to make, uh, nutrient dense bone broth under our Arizona grass raised beef label. And so um, it was great because now we could take the bones and, and we could add another level of profitability and instead of throwing the bones away and mm -hmm. or maybe selling a small percentage of the marrow bones for, you know, for, for, uh, you know, dogs, or we, we, we take all the bones, including, you know, the ligaments and the tendons and, uh, and we ship, we, we freeze them and we ship them over to our freezer in uh, Camp Verde. And um, we eventually got that kitchen USDA certified because I think in the beginning, the USDA really didn't know what to do with beef bone broth. Mm. Uh, but after, after a few months, they, they finally came to me and said, you know, Tim, you're going to have to get USDA inspected. And so that whole process started over again with the kitchen. Yeah. So we, we started making the bone broth and, and it, and it became pretty successful and we started selling it and marketing it the same way we market the beef. And, and then we got the bone broth in, in, a, in the natural grocery stores, which was a great client for us at one time. Um, and, and then, and then we started getting into the tallow business, taking the fat and rendering it into tallow. Mm -hmm. and so we, ha we have another partner that we work with on that side of the equation so, um, so the fat doesn't go to waste. And then when the bones are, are done cooking and, and all the marrows cooked out of them, you'd be amazed at how much nutrition is still left in those bones. So we clean the bones and we, we purchased a uh, hammer mill and we actually take those bones and turn, turn that, that into bone meal. So there's another level of profitability, you know, for the bones. Okay, so the bone meal, where does that go? What's the what's the use of that? Well, people buy bone meal as fertilizer. Okay, so um, it's just going to a fertilizer then. Yep, and then we also we also put it in our in our raw pet food. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so so that helps out on, on on that end of the spectrum as well. All right, so then how big are these kettles? You talked about these steam jacketed kettles. Yeah, so we have quite a few of them now, and they average about eighty gallons. Wow, uh, a piece, and. Uh, and, you know, we do, oh my goodness, we do, um, oh Lord, we, we, we do several hundred, yeah, maybe four or 500 gallons of broth a week. Um, we probably bottle, uh, now we're bottling somewhere around 25 to 3,000 bottles of uh, tallow okay. in our kitchen, you know, the fat. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, so, so the, the, the kitchen, we've, we've actually taken over the whole building several years ago and completely remodeled it and added more kettles and added more space for more kettles. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, we've set it up to where we can grow into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, okay. So know. then 
then the okay actually let's um let's move into now the marketing side because obviously you're talking about these massive quantities of bone broth and then the 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 tallow is that all sold online or do you have a retail store or how are you now moving this yeah the 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 tallow is sold um under a a company called fatworks and okay fatworks basically owns the tallow and they sell it through some of the walmart stores natural grocers and sprouts um, we, we've developed quite a, quite an internet, um, business, uh, selling the beef and, you know, selling the bone broth online. Uh, we have some chefs in, uh, Las Vegas, uh, Chicago and New York that buy the bone broth, uh, in bulk, okay. uh, you know, by the, by the gallon. And then, and then of course, most of it is sold by the court, uh, through, through our website. And uh, we, we're not we're not available in, in retail stores anymore. Gotcha. Wow. It just got to be to the point where you were doing making it work. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back in a few minutes to talk with Tim about the uh, business side of running their ranch. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. All right, we are back with Tim from Arizona. Now, Tim, talk to us. You talked about the the fat. You talked to us about the um, the, the bone broth, and you were talking about how chefs have been using that and they're buying that. How did you find those chefs to kind of like get them interested? Well, we, we have uh, developed relationships with um, uh, large uh, food distributors. Okay. Um, if I can mention the names like Cisco Foods and Shamrock Foods. And, and so um, a lot of our beef is, is sold through uh, these food distributors that primarily distribute to the food service industry, uh, restaurants specifically. So... So, um, and, and people, people go to our website, you know, I, I've learned that, that these restaurants have what's called uh, bone broth bars. Oh, you wow. Mm-hmm. People are drinking bone broth now, uh, as opposed to coffee. It's really big in the paleo keto world. Um, it's very nutrient dense. They, they add Tabasco to it. They add cream to it. They, they have these bone broth bars where, where people can get a cup of bone broth and add whatever they'd like to add. Uh, there's a restaurant here in Sedona, Arizona that buys our broth and they sell it by the shot. So okay. you can order a grass fed burger that, you know, that came from Arizona grass raised beef. And you can also order a shot of beef bone broth. Um, so, so the restaurants are coming up with unique ways to market the bone broth. Um, we, we have doctors that, um, you know, heart surgeons around the country that, actually prescribe our bone broth to their cancer patients or their heart patients. Uh, the doctors tell us that our bodies have forgotten how to absorb the nutrition that's actually in 
uh, this this bone broth. So so it's very. I, I have uh, athletes that that um, uh, run you know marathons and and they drink the bone broth to uh, kick their immune systems up and, and kick their performance up. So it's it's just a very healthy drink and 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 as time has gone on, you know the sales have increased because of those reasons. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, all right. So then you mentioned Cisco and a lot of people would view Cisco as the big evil food company, but you've actually made it work to kind of work through them. Now has the pandemic really um, uh, cut some of those sales? I'm assuming like if those sales did go down, your retail sales spiked. Yes. Our internet business was literally out of control during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic last year, um, you know, we, we as Americans saw our food system, you know, break down for the mm -hmm. first time in history. Uh, unfortunately, you know, people panic and, uh, you know, you couldn't even buy a freezer anywhere, yes. Arizona, yes. you know, yeah. much less anywhere in the country. Um, I had people calling me that I hadn't talked to in in 30 years that saw us on Facebook and knew that I was in the beef business calling me wanting to order a quarter beef or a, a half beef or a whole beef. Yeah. Um, as we sell individual cuts, we have packages, but you can also buy a whole beef from us as well. And we, you know, we we'll yeah. deliver that right to your door. So, so um, yeah, the pandemic actually put our internet business on steroids. Um, the food service business did drop by about 50%. Um, and, and, and it's actually come back quite a bit. Um, not, not quite where it was before the pandemic, but, um, there are, there are restaurants in Arizona that want local grown beef. They want, they want everything just, there, there's several restaurants. They want everything locally grown. Um, mm -hmm. so, so Cisco, the big, the big food distributors like Cisco and Shamrock foods, they, they are recognizing that that market does exist and it is growing. And it, it took us quite a few years to get um, involved with them. But I don't want to be in the distribution business. Uh, we do have a delivery truck and we do do some deliveries. But, but you know, I, I just, you know, distribution is a different business than what I do. So, yeah. So, um, and Cisco's look, really good at it. They're really good at it. Yeah. yeah. They pick, pick up at our plant every week. And, uh, you know, and make our, make our customers happy. Um, ultimately it's the product that makes them happy, but again, we don't want to be in the distribution business. And so, uh, it's kind of neat to see the larger distributors, uh, recognizing that that market is definitely there. It's a growing market mm -hmm. and, and, and they're, they're finding success with it. So mm -hmm. because we have our own USDA processing plant, they can buy from us. Um, Absolutely would think if we were state inspected, they probably wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't find us very desirable to, you know, to sell our products. So. Yeah. Cause just not the reach that they, they, they want. All right. Let's right. shift a little bit into the, the business side, because you've got how many employees between everything do you have? Yeah. Uh, you know, it ranges from about with the ranches and the, the kill plant and the, the kitchen, uh, you know, we've employed as many as 35 people. Okay. But we, we, run, we run around 20, 25 people. I, I have several of my children that are involved in the business. And, and uh, so, yeah, maybe, maybe 20, 25 people on the average. Okay. And how do you find good people? Ah, that's, that's the secret. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, 
that's that's really hard to find. It's 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 been a process over the years. Um, I I have uh, some people that I work with that are I guess you'd call them headhunters, mm-hmm. um, and and they they do a lot of advertising because we're just looking for uh, that certain person that's got this you know great work ethic. Uh, they really believe in the product. Uh, finding meat cutters that are skilled you know, that will, will cut the meat and you can, you can have a great looking rib roast, but you've got to have great looking ribeye steaks, you know, as, as a result of that. But, but we work with a couple of, uh, a couple of, uh, employment agencies and then, and then, uh, you know, these towns that we have our plants in our smaller towns. And so we, we put the word out and mm-hmm. we, we get, we get very lucky every once in a while. And we're able to find, find somebody that works out for us. Mm-hmm. So you we, mentioned, we yeah, you mentioned the two things that are super important is great work ethic and then just really believe. So you're doing more of the training yourself. You're just bring, you're just basically hiring for work ethic and that they believe in what you're trying to do. Yeah. Outside of hiring skilled meat cutters, that's a trick. Yeah. 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 You yeah. Know? But outside of that, we, we actually do. We have a couple of guys that we're training in the meat cutting uh, side of the business, but yeah, it's, it's all about being being excited about bringing this great product, this great food, feeding people. You know, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. we try to instill that into our employees. It's not just making bone broth, but we're bringing the the public a, a great product that's local. It's you know, it people are excited because they know where their food is coming from. Um, they they can call me on the phone and talk directly to the rancher. We have customers that. That mm-hmm. call call us and just want to talk to the rancher, so so that's that's kind of the the formula for success, uh, you know. In, yeah. In our, in, our, in our industry. Now, for your marketing, because I've looked through your website here, your marketing is really great. Do you have someone that does that for you, or that's specialized in that, or how did you develop that marketing feel? Yeah, and 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 it took time. You know, we as our internet business has increased, we felt like we've needed to. Uh, improve on the website. Uh, the website is, is really where we're, uh, this social media advertising, um, you know, selling product, uh, over the website is, is really the future. I think for people that are in our business, um, <laughs> again, you, you can have this great, uh, organic certification, grass fed beef certification. Uh, I, I really feel at the end of the day, people, want to be connected to their food and, and they really want to know where their food is coming from. And, and they feel like by buying online and, and actually making that connection, you know, with the farmer or the rancher uh, it's, it's not just a feel good, but they, they know that they're getting a product that, that was grown locally and they, they just, they feel more connected to their food. So, uh-huh. so we're putting, we're putting a lot of time and effort into, um, into uh, internet sales. Mm-hmm. Now, how many beef a week are you processing through your plant? Oh, you know, I, I, I would say around 30. Okay. So yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair bit of meat that's going through there. Yeah. So you have to have significant dry aging facilities then. Yeah. And the challenge with grass fed beef is that it's, it's leaner. Um, many, many people would argue it's a healthier product and I don't want to really get into the, you know, the difference between feedlots and antibiotics and growth hormones and all that stuff. That's something I encourage people to just do their own research on. There's plenty of yeah. out there. Grass fed beef is, is a different product. It's leaner. 
it's 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 just a different product and it's it's not as um it's not as tender so mm -hmm. so yeah we, we we have we have a pretty extensive dry aging program that's for sure and it it definitely makes our steaks um taste wonderful and, and have great great uh tenderness yeah and i'm looking here on your website and you actually offer a couple unique things which i think are really cool um one is that you have like a phone number you can call greg to customize if this thing does not exactly fit so basically you know someone goes here they see the beautiful displays the beautiful uh, pictures but then it's like hey you know you want to customize this just give us a call yeah. Well, that's really cool. And so is that is someone that's just at the meat plant that if someone calls in, they can just design a custom box or something for them. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, Greg, Greg has an office and that's, that's where we, we have a, most of our marketing is done in, um, uh, let's say North, North, uh, Phoenix area. Okay. Um, so that's, that's, uh, you know, we're, we're in communication via email and phone all day long between, uh, you know, say we, we'll call it Greg's office. Yes. And, and, and my office, which is mostly the ranches, the, <laughs> you know, the kitchen and the, uh, and the, the slaughter plant. So very cool. And uh, then the other thing you have is you have this add on feature where basically, so I'm right here on the, the uh, bone broth package. So if you buy four of them and four quarts of it, and the thing is you offer free, no, it's a, uh, flat rate shipping of $12.99, but obviously you want to fill that box as full as possible. And so you sure. have these add-ons, which, and does the, the, the computer actually calculate when it gets to a full box and then stop adding these discounted add-ons? Or do you realize nope. that they've ordered enough and they're just going to, depends on how no. many boxes you're still going to make money on it? No, we just, we just let people order. It's not, it's not really that sophisticated. Okay. So we're just encouraging sales, trying to give people value, give, mm -hmm. them, a, give them a you know a good bang for the buck, you know, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's part of marketing, you know, people want to feel like they're getting a good value. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like this phrase here. You say we praise the grays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a clever yep. one. That's good. Yep. All right. So let's kind of move to just management. I mean, you got a lot of moving pieces here and you've obviously hired good people to make that happen. How, do you have a specific program or way that you keep track of everything that you need to get done? Uh, you know, I, I keep a schedule. I, I have to have a schedule. Mm -hmm. And and just like anybody else who's in business, you keep a schedule. And um, you, stay, you stay in close connection with your managers. Um, I, I, um, I work with Farm Bureau a lot, Arizona Farm Bureau. I sit on the board. I have, um, uh, I have people that, that, you know, like to call me and, you know, cause, cause we're like, we're like the only ranching operation probably in the Western United States that actually has cattle ranches and mm -hmm. has processing facilities. And, um, I'm on a couple of advisory boards at the Arizona department of agriculture. Those things keep me kind of, kind of busy, mm -hmm. but, um, but the priority is, you know, is for me is always quality of the product mm. and and just nobody is going to i've learned in 34 business years of being in business that nobody's going to run this business like 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 me uh -huh. and we have great employees but at the end of the day there's a lot of moving parts and we're in the food business you know and and there's so many things to deal with temperatures and you know, the quality of of the cows and the quality of the product and you know the 
just the dry aging process took took me six months to put together. Our 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 hamburger patty took took six months to develop. I mean, there's just wow. there's a lot of developing because because yeah. we're a growing company, you know, and and um, it, it's um, the answer to your question is simply yes. I have a schedule. <laughs> I start I start in the morning and I run as hard as I can all day yeah. long. And, and uh, do you have an assistant that kind of keeps you on track with some of this or? Yeah, my wife. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she helps me out a lot. <laughs> you know, hey, honey, can you do this? Hey, can you help me with that? Yeah. You know, and get this done and get that done. Because I struggle with details. I'm more of a big picture guy, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and like today, I'm, I'm at the office in the kitchen. Yeah. And doing, doing this, this great, you know, interview. And, and I have to go to um, Prescott and I have to buy um, a truckload of uh, peeled poles because we're rebuilding uh, quite a few miles of fencing on one of our ranches that we're rebuilding. Okay. Um, I'll stop at the kill plant on the way into Prescott, check up with my manager, meet with him briefly, walk around and just stick my nose in a few things. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I'm proud to tell my people, hey, hey, I'm micromanaging you. And then I laugh, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that's yeah. what it takes, you know. That's yeah. That's just what it takes, you know. But and, but because you said that, that's not micromanaging because you're just—it's the management by walking around, just making them feel your presence, and yeah. and I can tell that you're not the guy that's you know checking up on every tiny little thing, but you are going to be there. And I remember when I did that in our business, you know, we'd have multiple farmers markets running simultaneously. And some days I would just take off and I would just drive from market to market to market and just pop in. And have to. The really good managers, when I showed up, they're like, hey, Michael, how's it going? And the, the stand looked beautiful. The not so good managers, you pop in and they like the flurry of activity, <laughs> trying to make it look good for you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah. Well, we're fortunate to have really good people. It's taken some time to build these teams. Yeah. You know, and they have the same vision. Uh, we, we like to think we pay. We pay really well because mm-hmm. we expect we expect the best. So we mm-hmm. pay the best and um, yeah, but you still have to, you still have to have that presence. You still have to show up and uh, people, the, the employees want to see that you're interested as well. You're the owner, mm-hmm. you're the boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they actually, you know, there's a certain amount of relationship building that has to go on between your employees. Um, I like to think of my employees as my partners and not so much, you know, here comes the big boss, you know, or, you know, this guy's got a title. I don't even like titles. Yeah. Uh, I'm just a cattle rancher with a, with a vision and, and, uh, bottom line at the end of the day, we, we want, we want to do the best we possibly can. We want to mm-hmm. deliver the best product we possibly can. So as long as I can do that in a, in a 12 or 14 hour day, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, two, two more questions before we wrap up, what would you say the biggest mistake beginning farmers and ranchers make? Well, I think, I think, um, I would have to say that a lot of uh, farmers and ranchers get into business, the business of raising cattle, the business of buying ranches, the business of farming, uh, you know, yields at at the end of the day, you just have to know your numbers. Mm. And, and my partner, Greg is just great at that. He's, he's really taught me a lot about that over the years. Yeah. Uh, You got, you got to know your numbers and, a lot of people want to get into the, they, they see this industry of, of, Hey, you know, they get this great idea. We're going to start this farm. We're going to start this small farm, or we're going to raise some cattle and, and we're going to do this. And, and, and it is kind of a fad. There's a lot of people moving to rural Arizona 
because they want to grow their own food. Mm-hmm. And that's great if they do it for themselves. But when you turn it into a business, I guess, I guess the, the big advice is you have to know your numbers and, and just surround yourself with people that have already done it. Um, most people that are in agriculture, I've found, um, want, want to mentor because we, we want to grow and expand agriculture. We want to keep agriculture, um, you know, vibrant. I mean, we, Farm Bureau puts a lot of money into educating children and young people. You know, we, we work with the FFA, uh, we work with Farm Bureau, but, but at the end of the day, you can have all that, but if you don't know your numbers, you, you don't, you don't really have a business and, and avoid as much debt as you possibly can. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. People, avoid the debt. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of easy money available out there to buy cattle through, through federal, federal programs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're paying a mortgage on a ranch and you're paying a mortgage on the cattle or on a farm, vice versa. Uh, know your numbers. That's, that's really the, the, the best advice I can give. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, if you could pick one, what would be your favorite tool that you use? Uh, horse. Okay. <laughs> horse or a mule for sure. Right. Uh, and it, it, cause, cause I, that's what I love to do more is be on the ranch and, and ride and look at the cattle, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's our, that's, that's a, a rancher's, that's my favorite tool as a rancher is the horse. So. Awesome. And where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, they can, they can visit our, our website at www.azgrassraisedbeef.com. And uh, that's really the best place to find out about our company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great website. A lot of cool stuff over there. Yeah. And they can contact Greg. And, and, and if people want to talk to me personally, Greg passes that information on to myself. Um, I always return phone calls and uh, love, love to talk to customers and, uh, or talk to people who you know, want to get into the business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, hey, Tim, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you, um, you know, chatting with us about what it takes to run your business. And uh, just, it's incredible to think the, the extent of what you've built over the last decade with that. And um, yeah, definitely look forward to following up at some point. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's th- thanks so much. It's been good talking to you. All right. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Next week on the podcast, we interview Drew Sample, who farms in Columbus, Ohio. And Drew has a microgreen company, And we talk about how he got started. We talk about kind of his philosophy on farming. And we talk about how he pivoted during COVID to start selling to retail aspects and how he pivoted to restaurants and how he also started to aggregate some food as well to serve other people as well. So join me next week as we interview Drew Sample on the podcast. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.